Amen. Are you ready now to hear the word of the Lord on this Resurrection Sunday? Come on now. God has something he wants to say. And we're going to teach the word today. If you have your Bibles, open it up to the book of Romans. I'm going to be reading out of Romans chapter 8. I can think of no better Sunday to talk about our theme that we've entitled this month, I Love God's Promises. What better Sunday and what better theme than God's promises on this Resurrection Sunday? Because you realize that untold millions of people are celebrating Christ's resurrection today. Christians from all across the globe are celebrating the resurrection. They're celebrating in large gatherings. They're they're. There are right now, probably at this moment, somewhere in the world, stadiums that are filled with Christians celebrating the resurrection. There were people that got up at the crack of dawn celebrating the resurrections. There were uh, large churches that hold multiple, multiple services celebrating the resurrection. There are small groups right now, I guarantee you, in China in their homes that maybe, you know, uh, seven to ten people are gathered in that home and they're celebrating the resurrection. And here we are, and it's two o'clock in the afternoon, I get it, and we are celebrating the resurrection. How many of you know that every hour of the day we should celebrate the resurrection? And the message that I give today, I had mentioned to you that, in fact, those of you that are on social media, I actually posted something a number of weeks ago that uh, I just had some download that came to me from the Lord. And I'm going I'm to talk just real briefly about that. But, but I know we have guests today. I'm so glad you're here. And I believe God has something to say to you today as well. So I, I don't believe you're out of the loop. I believe that if you have ears to hear, the Lord will say something to you. But I'm, I'm, I'm talking to the legacy tribe, though, in the sense that I, I just believe that there's a word here that can really encourage us, that encouraged me. Several weeks ago, I was in a place, speaking at a church in Monroe, North Carolina. And uh, Monroe is kind of like the northeast side of the Charlotte area. It's only a few miles, actually, from the South Carolina border where you get to Fort, Fort Mill, uh, into that area. I was at a church from a good friend of mine, a Billy Gowan, from years ago. He was a youth pastor when I was on staff together at Evangel Cathedral. And he has been pastoring this church, Life Church of Monroe, for a number of years now. And he'd asked me to come up, talk about revival. And so I did, and um, I was praying in the hotel room before service. God's been giving me, by the way, this new template for prophesying. And uh, for those of you that don't know, for years the Lord has had a prophetic ministry for me. And the reason I don't prophesy as much probably in this house, or if I do, I prophesy more congregationally uh, is because I know too much about most of you and and it's hard it's it's hard to keep that clean because when you prophesy you want to make sure it's the word of the Lord and not just the word of what pastor knows or the word of whoever knows and if I do ever give people a word it's because the impression is is deep and profound but 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 I've been getting this new template and and so it has has pushed me to pray before I get into services, even, even in a more intense way. And so I was praying about that day in, in the church in Monroe, and God began, His Spirit came in that room, and, and this doesn't happen to me all the time. It doesn't happen to me. If you think that pastor gets these breezes of inspiration that just are amazing that comes to him, and then he brings this message, that isn't always how it works. Sometimes you're just studying God's Word, and you just dig it out. And it doesn't feel maybe as anointed as maybe it will come across 
but but sometimes it's just like some days you like going to work and some days you don't like going to work. Some days I bet Anna, you feel like, hey, as a teacher, I'm getting through today. This lesson I had for them hit the mark, yay, and you're happy and glad, and you even might even say God was a part of it. But then there are some days you go to you go to school and you go, here I am, Lord. You know, how many of you know that works for everybody that way? It works for everybody that way. But this was a day that this breeze came. And God began to download some inspiration. And he just sort of shared, not in an audible voice, I didn't hear anything audibly, but but I I sent some things in my spirit that it encouraged me, and hopefully I can communicate it in such a way that it might encourage you too. How many of you would like to be encouraged on a resurrection Sunday morning, afternoon? I keep prophesying morning, morning. Are you at Romans 8, 11? I'm entitling the message today, The Lynchpin. The Lynchpin. I'll explain that in just a moment. Romans 8, 11, this is what we read. Paul writes, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit, who dwells in you the linchpin now on most easters i think through the years as i best can recall i read usually from the gospels matthew mark luke or john i read from the gospels in order that we can hear the accounts again of the familiar story that most of you have heard for years Even if you don't know all the details exactly, most of you know enough of the story that you could probably recount the whole story of Christ's Passion Week in some form or fashion to anybody who would ask. So we we all are familiar with the account. But today, instead of reading from the Gospels, I wanted to just read something Paul had written. Because what Paul does is not that he reminds everybody as to what happened with regards to the death, burial, and resurrection— But he leaps to this truth as to what the repercussion of the resurrection means to you and to me. Paul makes it personal. See, that's what I think maybe today we need to just keep in mind. That the resurrection is not just a historical event, but that God really wants to make it personal. And Paul says that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is moving inside of you as a believer now just stop for a minute and weigh that that's remarkably profound the same spirit that raised jesus up from the dead the same spirit that blew life into a body that was beaten to a pulp he was dead there was no doubt about it it was over he was he was lashed unmercifully he was hung and crucified, asphyxiated on a cross unmercifully. He was stabbed with a sphere unmercifully. He was put in a tomb, a big old rock rolled and sealed. He was dead. He was gone. It was over. And God shows up. He raises him from the dead. He pushes aside the rock. He brings him out of that tomb. He is alive and he says this same spirit that raised Jesus up and did these things is in you. Man, just chew on that for a minute. 
the Christians that he was writing to in Rome needed to hear that. Rome was doing everything it could do to wipe out this cult called Christianity. They didn't want Christians. They didn't like Christians. You've heard me teach on all the reasons Rome wanted nothing to do with Christianity, but Paul reminded them, as well as later writers would remind us, things like, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, the Roman world was nothing like our world. There weren't churches on every corner. There was no Christian culture. If you go to Rome today, you see Catholic edifices everywhere. That wasn't anything like it was in Paul's day. It was pagan. It was heathen. It was adverse. It was hostile. There was no church to attend in A.D., you know, 65. There were no service time options. There was no programs going on. There was no, no office or church building or organization. It was just what I call primal faith. These people had a faith. It was primal. But yet in that, that faith that they had, it was spreading like wildfire. And the culture wanted to wipe it out. But Paul was reminding them that something beyond this world was working in people's hearts. Something that's remarkable, and we need to be reminded of that today because we tend to lose sight of that. But for that to be revelation to us, we have to be reminded that the resurrection of Jesus isn't some Dr. Zeus story. It isn't like Horton hears a who. It isn't, you know, the cat in the hat. It isn't Aesop's fable. It isn't just these fables that have good meanings at the end of the story. It's not some sort of spiritual wives' tale. It's real. Jesus was and is and forever shall be real and alive. I recently, if you haven't had opportunity, I hope you get the opportunity. I think some of you have saw the new movie that's out, The Case for Christ. It's just a great, great movie. It's, it's not cheesy at all. In fact, if you've never read Lee Strobel's book concerning the case for Christ, you need to read it. Lee Strobel was a hostile atheist. And the movie literally is his biography, how he was this hostile atheistic journalist. He was quite a profound journalist. And, and his wife became born again. And his marriage started to have struggles because she was born again. But he wasn't and wanted nothing to do with this newfound faith. And so he was going to make the case that Christianity was false. And through this movie you begin to see that uh, he's working, trying to dispel Christianity. And one of his friends at the newspaper said, well, you might as well work on dispelling the resurrection because if you can dispel the resurrection, basically you've taken out the linchpin because the resurrection is the linchpin to everything. If you can, if you can take that away, then you, you can undermine the whole thing. But he said, good luck. Many have tried for thousands of years. And we're still around. And it's a powerful movie about apologetics, if you like that kind of stuff, about reaching people. There was another movie. In fact, I was listening, Ed, to your message last week, and you mentioned that message, uh, movie Risen, and about a Roman soldier. It was another angle who was ordered to find the missing Christ who had resurrected. And the movie is about him working through his skepticisms until he finally comes to the conclusion that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. It's interesting how fascinated these days the Hollywood scene is concerning Jesus. 
Back in seminary, this is a long time ago when I was in school, probably about 1983. So this is back in the dinosaur age for some of you. I was at seminary and there was this Wesleyan scholar, an incredible speaker, a man by the name of James Earl Massey, pastor, scholar. He, He was a black man. And he was sharing with us there at seminary some things that we had a question and answer time with this guy. And somebody asked him, now remember this is 1983, this is over 30 years ago. And they were just quizzing him about about black churches and black preaching. And they were asking all sorts of questions. And and they were asking him questions concerning how there there seemed to be a a conservative theological perspective, at least at that time. And why it was there was passion and other things within the black culture and their churches. And I'll never forget Dr. Massey when he looked at us and he took his glasses off. And this is what he said to us. And you would expect something from as educated and scholarly a man as he was. Something, well it was profound, but something I guess more cerebral. But this is what he said. He said, in our circles, this is what we do. We just tell the story. And the story carries its own authority. I thought, that's good. You don't have to worry about defending it. You just tell it. Don't worry about trying to prove it. You just tell it. And it was encouraging as I began to think of all of these things, which brings me back to that word linchpin. The resurrection is the linchpin. Now, if you don't know what a linchpin is, watch the screen, because I'm going to tell you what a linchpin is. A linchpin is... A locking pin inserted crosswise as through the end of a shaft or axle. One that serves to hold together parts or elements that exist or function as a unit. Or the linchpin is what a piece of evidence might be in a defense lawyer's case. Now, I'm sure most linchpins look like this. It's like it's like a piece of metal that's got two little things and you stick it through a hole and then and 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 then you move those two parts up, you know what I'm talking about now linchpin and it holds I, rem- I I know when I used to put kids toys together like at Christmas and you put a wheel on their wagon a lot of times you'd have to put a linchpin in the axle and, and and then twist the bottom because that would allow the wheel to move the linchpin if you don't have the linchpin the wheel falls off if you don't have the linchpin Something something breaks or something won't work right because everything is held together by that linchpin. Now hear me, the resurrection is to Christians the linchpin. The linchpin of the resurrection holds everything we do together. If the, if the resurrection is not true, all of Christianity is not true. It's the linchpin. It's the catalyst for everything we aspire to do for God. Without the resurrection, Christianity is just a nice little philosophy. If you remove the resurrection, everything else falls apart. But this is the good news. And it's that the resurrection is better attested to than many of the historical events of secular history. It is more true and more factual that Jesus rose from the dead than Plato or Aristotle existed. I can go down the list of all the historical figures you would without question say, well, that's true, it's history. I am here to tell you there is more historical facts concerning Jesus and the resurrection than almost anything. People may reject Jesus, but if they reject Jesus, they cannot reject him based on the facts of his life. 
You may not like them, you may not want them, you may reject them, but don't you come tell me it's because it's all a fairy tale because now you're not even being integral. The resurrection. We need to get resurrection back in us. Why is this necessary? Why is the resurrection necessary? I'm going to move through this quickly. Now, everybody stay zoned in. I'm not going to be here long, but this is important. Every time I get you, I don't get you for, you know, lengthy periods of time. The TV gets you all week. Media gets you all week. Your boss gets you all week. I only get you for about 35 minutes. So, so bear with me. Keep zoned in. Why is the resurrection necessary? Because it provides the conclusion to what we call the atonement atonement don't think i'm shooting over your head you can you're learning everyone say i'm learning come on I, say i am a disciple of jesus and i need to learn sure you do you need to learn atonement say well that's over three syllables why would i need to know that be, be, listen it's important you can learn three syllable words atonement literally you think of it this way think of this phrase at one mint at one mint atonement is what what god provided in order that you could be at one with him atonement literally means to become one with god at one so when jesus died on the cross he provided atonement he provided the means by which you and i could be at one with god he died for our sins and made atonement for our sins so that you and I who are sinful could be at one with a God who is holy. Holy God, sinful man, how do we reconcile this gap that's between the two of us? Jesus. Jesus provided a way that we could become at one with God. So atonement. See, I'm not even going to talk to you about propitiation. If I gave you two three-syllable words, you know, this afternoon, it'd be overwhelming, wouldn't it? Pastor used two words that were just propitiation. Oh, my Lord, five syllables. So we'll forget a propitiation over there. Atonement. Everyone say atonement. Now, listen, here, here are things, and all of, these, all of these are true. I'm about ready to share with you all the ways people view atonement. And you're going you're gonna to recognize them just like this, so don't. Don't freak, all right? This isn't like going to theology class. I'm gonna, but it's important that you understand because, because the cross, you won't get why the resurrection is important unless we get just a little of the atonement in our system. Why did Jesus die on the cross? The first reason, some people suggest, is what we call the ransom theory. The ransom theory is this, and you've heard this before, and that is that Satan had held humanity captive to sin, and in order to rescue humanity, God had to ransom us from the power of Satan. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus gave his life as a what? As a ransom for many, right? So when, when Jesus died on the cross, and a piece of this is true, that, that he literally ransomed you from the captivity of the enemy. You were bound in chains. You were bound in, in ropes. You were bound to all kinds of things. And Satan wasn't going to let you go until the ransom had been paid. And guess what? Jesus came your way and said, may I pay your ransom? Some of you said yes. I hope everyone says yes. Ransom. 
Secondly, what happened when Jesus died on the cross? One of them was satisfaction. What does that mean? It means that a holy God, if you're a holy God, now think of this, you're holy, you're perfect. There is no error in you. And you're looking at all of humanity and what we do. Is this not true? <laughs> if, if, if it weren't for the fact that God is love, he'd probably pretty, be pretty ticked at us most of the time. Isn't it true? The things we'll do, the messes we'll get into, the way we'll blaspheme or the way we'll just be in rebellion. So he's mad. His holiness has been impugned and something has to satisfy that wounded honor. What did Jesus do on the cross? He satisfied the vindictive part of God's justice. Who would, if he had moved forward, if he weren't for the fact he was long-suffering, his justice would demand that he wipe us out because all of us have been rebels before him. So his cross satisfies that. Number three is this. It's called moral influence. When Jesus died on the cross, it's also a beautiful picture of what we call sacrificial love. In fact, most people who espouse this, unfortunately, don't believe any of the other things. They believe basically that his death was a picture of simply winning hearts over to God by an act of great love. And you've heard this. Jesus loved you so much, he gave his life for you. And if you were the only one, he would have died for you. And look at the great sacrificial act and so we watch the passion of the Christ. We watch the brutality of the, 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 the whipping and, and the cross. And, and, and we're moved by it. It is a moving thing. And, and moral influence means because he sacrificed himself for others and for me in particular, we're moved to these things. And that's a part. I have no problem saying that's a part of what happened on the cross. The fourth one is governmental, which means that when Jesus died, he paid the price not only for specific sins, but the sins of all the universe. Because God wanted to maintain good order and he wanted to maintain proper government. And so something had to take place in order for this chaotic, sin-broken world in order to maintain its, its I guess, balance or maintain its, its, its wholeness so we all didn't go crazy. And so Jesus died in order that our past, our present, and even our future sins uh, would be atoned for in order that this whole world wouldn't just break down in anarchy. And there's some truth to that too. Because if it's not for the grace of God that's extended toward all of mankind, do you not realize this place would be like an insane asylum? And so Jesus dies in order to make at one even the whole world. It doesn't mean everybody's saved. It just means that that his sacrifice atones for the fracturedness of the universe and in that atonement, it keeps us living and breathing until some of us come to our senses and say yes to him. And then the fifth one and the last one is what should be taught because I believe it's the most biblical. All of them have some biblical reference, but the fifth one is called substitution. Substitution is this, that Jesus died on the cross as a substitute for you and me. Now, I never heard this. You see, I grew up in a church, and I went to that church till I was 18 years old, and I was in it almost all the time, and I never heard the gospel once. I'm telling you exactly what the gospel is here. Jesus died on the cross 
as a substitute for you and me. This is what the Bible says. He became sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, God sent his son to take upon himself all of our sins. He takes upon the sins of the world. And when we receive him as Lord into our life, what happens is all of his perfectness and righteousness gets transferred to us. And so he becomes sin. Then we become righteousness. So when God looks at us, he's not looking just at you and me. He's not looking at Kevin, the screw up. He's looking at Kevin who opened his heart, received Jesus into it. He's seeing the righteousness of his son in me. So no longer am I under the weight of God's wrath that would come upon me, that would break me. It would kill me. It it would eternally send me to hell. It would separate me forever from him because my sins, my sins can't be seen before a holy God. But here's the good news. The minute I said yes to Jesus was the moment he said, cast your sins upon me and I will cast my righteousness upon you. And at that moment, God says, yes, I see Kevin. I see what he has done. I see all the ways he's rebelled. I see all the ways he's walked away from me. But I also see now he said yes to my son. He said yes to the satisfaction. He said yes to the ransom. He said yes to the substitute. He said yes to these things. So I no longer see his sins. I will cast them as far as the east is from the west. I will put them in the sea of my forgetfulness and remember them no more. I see now the righteousness of my son in him. So as I look at Kevin, I am actually seeing Jesus in him. That's pretty good stuff. And that's what happened to you if you say Jesus is Lord of your life. It's not just me. I'm not this special person. God says I I am a respecter of no man. What I did for pastor, I'll do for anyone. Let me hear me. He did it despite me being pastor. All the theories, I could go through this. It's great stuff to teach. And all of these theories, Jesus died on a cross... To wipe your slate clean. I remember when I was a custodian, there were blackboards. And back in those days, chalkboards, blackboards, they actually were black. And we had a special eraser every Friday. We would take across that blackboard because the teachers always loved on Monday mornings to see that chalkboard clean as a whistle. Sometimes we'd even get water out and we'd water it down. And it was just clean as a whistle. So when they pulled that chalk out, it would be like writing. Because you know what a chalkboard does. If you write on it long enough in a race, it has all that dust. And it's just, it's, it's dust. The atonement is like every Friday night at the elementary school. Jesus wipes your slate clean. He wipes, why does he wipe it clean? It's because he wants to take his piece of chalk and begin to write on your heart and write on your life, your destiny and your purpose. He wants to write something new on you. It cleans the slate, but hear me, cleaning the slate is important. It is good and it needs to be done. But the resurrection is about keeping the, keeping the board clean and keeping the board right. 
and, and victory and overcoming because here's what our problem is. God begins to write on the, on the clean chalkboard and then what we want to do is we want to go out and, 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 and do our thing and, and, and continue in our sin. And so we pull out the eraser then and we begin to erase God's plan. And the good news is he will come again. If you sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin if you'll confess. And again, he'll wipe it clean. This is the amazing thing. Now, that doesn't mean we get to sin and get an atonement. Sin and get an atonement. Sin and get an atonement. I'm not, listen, after a while, even God's smart enough to know that something hasn't happened inside of you. He becomes simply your, your janitor who will come in after every weekend. Like every Sunday night, after you've done your weekend, he comes in on Sunday night and he cleans the slate again. Now, hear me, he will do that. He's the God of multiple chances. But the resurrection, this is the part you got to get revelation. The resurrection part of it is the, is the part that gives us the victory and the overcoming that allows that chalkboard to stay in such a state that he can continue to write his will so that we become, as Paul said, living epistles. Now, there are several things that the resurrection provides. And here's the good news. I'm going to go through these four things rapidly. And I'm going, to, when, I'm going to get to the end. I'm going to get the download. If you don't know what the download was that I got in Monroe, North Carolina, I'm getting there. But I'm making sure everybody's on the same page, on the same board. What does the resurrection really provide? It's this. Number one is this. Death is not the end. <laughs> You know, whenever you die, there's an immediate judgment. As a believer, when I die, my body will stop. The Bible says that I enter into some form of sleep. Now, that word sleep doesn't mean like I'm sleeping like I will tonight. It's not like natural sleep, but your spirit and your soul is released to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, wherever the Lord is right now, when I die, that's where I will be released. If you were to die and you're dying in the Lord, your spirit, your soul will be released into the presence of the Lord. And I believe that as we're waiting in the presence of the Lord, that we'll enjoy great peace and joy and all those sorts of things until the day arrives. And Paul said that this would be a mystery. And you'll, you'll see why here in just a moment. But Paul said this is a mystery, but there's coming a day because of Christ's resurrection being a first fruit that you and I will be reunited with our bodies even if we died centuries ago. That somehow in a mysterious form, bodies will come together. That which has turned to dust will suddenly materialize as a glorified body again. And what will happen will be that you and I as believers will be resurrected from the earth in bodily form. The sea will give up its dead. The people that have perished in fire, their ashes scattered everywhere, will miraculously come together and they will be raised up out of the ashes. We're not going to spend eternity as this nebulous, ethereal spirit being. We will have bodies. We will be in glorified state. We will be just like Jesus when he walked on this earth. As a matter of fact, when this is all said and done, you and I are going to be back on this earth walking on it. Christ's resurrection seals that deal. That's why death is not the end. Death is a door. Why do we fear it? It's because as a human being, we only get to face it once. And we don't know much about it. 
Anybody that we've seen die, they, they're dead and they don't know. They can't tell us much about it. We don't know if it hurts. We don't know if there's any pain. We don't know, is there struggle? Is this thing going to be terrible? All the normal questions that surround death. I watched, I watched people die. I've been there when they've died. And I look at it and, and, and I don't know. I don't know. Did that hurt them? Uh, did they struggle? What was going on at that moment? I'm going to face it one of these days if Jesus tarries. And all of these things bring questions and it can even bring fear to us. But hear me when I say this, Jesus' resurrection teaches me that I have nothing to fear. Death is but a door. Jesus is the only one that has the ability to have died and come back and to look at those who follow him and say this, fear not. <laughs> fear not. I've got the keys to this moment. And it's not the end of your trail. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He came back. Therefore, if I throw my confidence in him, I have no reason to fear anymore. Do I want to die? Obviously not. I'm not looking forward to death, so to speak. I still want grandbabies. I want to see my, my grandbaby Jude grow up. I still want to see my children accomplish great and wonderful things. I have all these natural aspirations, but this much I know. If I die, it's not the end. Glory to God. I'll just preach myself happy here. Number two, the resurrection is a vindication of the truth. Christ was crucified for a number of reasons, spiritual and natural. He was considered dangerous by religious and secular authority. He was considered dangerous by the devil himself. But the resurrection vindicates every promise, every word, every precept, every principle, every commandment, everything Jesus ever spoke. And it was Jesus who spoke in the Old Testament too, because he and the Father are one. How do I know Jesus will come again? How do I know he will receive his church? Because he was raised from the dead. And if he said he'd be raised from the dead, I have no reason to doubt anything else he may say. How do I know that every enemy will eventually be defeated and that I'm going to be vindicated to every foe? How do I know this? It's because he was raised from the dead. If a man who dies and tells me he will rise again and does that, hear me, we'd be smart to pay attention to everything he said. What does the resurrection mean? Number three, it means victory over sin. Now, I understand everything's simple and profound, but bear with me. We know that the wages of sin is death. Sin begets death. You know, this is the interesting thing about sin. Sin, sin never gets you right away. Sin always lets you come, come on, come on, come on. And it lets you, that's the deceiving part of it. It, it, it pulls you and it brings you a direction until finally it gets you and then the wages the wages are released. Whatever is sin or is associated with it will ultimately bring death. It's not being negative, it's just being biblical. A resurrection was necessary because if the cross satisfied the wrath of God against sin, then we can be brought to the place that the resurrection can begin to give us victory over that very sin nature. The cross illustrates the horrific nature of sin, but the resurrection demonstrates the victory you and I can have over sin. That's why Satan wants to keep us blinded to the resurrection. 
When he arose, the Bible says he arose and was seated at the right hand of God. And now it says that when you receive him, that now you and I have been seated with him in heavenly places. Is that not incredible? I'm seated right now. I know it looks like I'm preaching to you, but in actuality, I am seated with him in heavenly places, which means that the same victory and authority that Jesus has at this very moment is being transferred to me as a joint heir with him in this regard. We just have to apply it. So whenever anything's thrown at me that seems overwhelming, I need to remember that because of the resurrection, I've been seated to overcome what's in front of me. Finally is this, and I'm here at the end. What does the resurrection mean? And this was the download. The resurrection is a template of God's ways. A template of God's ways. I want to remind you, and this is what I was reminded of, that Christianity is about resurrections. It's not about rearrangement. It's not about revisioning. It's not even about restarts. Christianity is not about church growth. It's not about conferences. Christianity is not a self-help program. Christianity is not about simply finding a good moral code or boundary that you can live your life by and you'll just be a better person. Christianity isn't about simply turning over a new leaf or pulling up oneself by their own bootstraps. Some of us have pulled up ourselves so many times with those bootstraps, we broke the, we broke the, broke the strap. Christianity is not about making life more comfortable or making it more convenient. Christianity is not about adding a religious piece to your already packed schedule or responsibilities. Christianity is, however, about Jesus who was unjustly killed for the needs of others. But even in that injustice, he arose, vindicated that what he provided is what humanity desperately needs. And he begins to offer a template. This becomes the template to all who put their trust in him. Jesus' template is this. You have a vision you die to the vision, and God resurrects the vision. That's the template. And he offers this template to all who put their trust in him. It's like I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is, is that God wants to bring to pass a resurrected, powerful life in you and in me. Here's the, here's the bad news or the tough news, and it's this. You're going to have to die to some things. Because he's not resurrecting your strength, he's resurrecting your death. And I'm not suggesting that you nor I are anything like Jesus. I make no claim to divinity, nor should you. And we all know that because we live around each other. Ain't none of us Jesus here. But his spirit makes possible the same happenings in us as happened in him. Jesus said, the works that I do, you shall do in greater works than these. So he will raise you up as an individual. He will raise us up as a church. He will take things that have died and he loves raising them up. So when they're raised up, no one can say, ah, well, they were probably just, you know, out of it for a little while. That's what people want to do with Jesus. You know, that's one of the theories of his death, that he just sort of passed out. 
and, and, the, and he wasn't really dead. And when they put him in the tomb, the cool nature of the tomb eventually revived him. And, uh, you know, he, he got up and he actually, you know, which is really amazing that a guy that was beaten like him and crucified and a spear thrust in his side and all of these things sitting in a cold, dark, damp tomb had what it took to get up and roll that stone that took about, you know, four or five Roman soldiers to roll it in front of it. I mean, that, that would be an amazing story, too. It's just not the one that happened. There's some things that die in order that when they're raised up, the only way you can explain it is that's God. That's God. If you've ever wondered why there are things in your life that have died, and it's hard, and I realize it's hard, but hear me when I say this, sometimes when things die, it's the exact moment God wants it in order to raise them up again. And just like with Jesus, there were people that were counting him out. But what they didn't realize was that as they were counting him out, Satan himself was counting him out. They didn't realize that he was coming back. There are people who are counting you out. There are people that have counted me out. They're counting us out. They've written our obituary. For some of you, you think you can't ever come back from where you were. Let me just tell you, I had a, I'm going to tell the story. I decided I was going to tell the story. Some of you may be aware that we were... We were negotiating here these last few weeks with a guy who wanted to purchase the land out there. And he gave us an offer and he was, he was telling me certain things and wanting to do certain things. And when the offer finally came in, it was, it was so absolutely low. I, I knew it was going to come in low. And so I prepared myself not even to be offended just because I knew where I am. And I was saying, humble yourself, Kevin, just humble yourself. But let me just tell you, I came to the conclusion as I received this offer that it wasn't really about wanting to do right it was really about just wanting to rob somebody because he was convinced our obituary had been written he was convinced that church is dead that church won't go anywhere that church has had its day its glory days are long gone that place is dead and he was simply trying to pick the bones counting us out Counting me out. I mean, I got this revelation. I felt like it was sort of like the soldiers gambling for Christ's robe. Why he ain't going to need it? Why will he need his robe? He's dead. He's not going anywhere. We're sealing him in a grave. We're putting guards in front of it. He ain't going anywhere. We're writing Christ's obituary. Yeah, it's finished all right. It is over, never to be heard from again. They just didn't realize that God is in the business of resurrections. Resurrections. Soldiers just wanted to pick stuff off of Christ. And that's what people do. They just want to pick stuff off. But what they didn't count on was resurrection. People counted Jesus out, but they were foolish because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And if we are in him, then Paul says it. He says this, if the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead, it now lives in your mortal body, mortal body, not my spiritual body, my mortal body. We have resurrection power surging inside of us. Why are you yelling? Because I'm hoping yelling will blast that out of you and me. Hear me when I say this and I'm on Facebook and I'm going to be on YouTube and I'm announcing it to the world. And if my good friend that tried to pick off the property is living and listening out there on John's Island, I want you to hear this clearly. Legacy will come back. We will arise. 
We will arise. Some may be like Peter and find that hard to believe. But I can assure you, we're going to be raised from the dead. And let me tell you what God's going to start doing. He's going to start rolling away stones. He's going to start folding grave clothes. Because we're going to spring from our tomb. Listen, it's not going to be a relaunch. I'm not even talking relaunch. I'm talking resurrection. I've decided that I want to see a resurrection. I want to be a part of a resurrection. His resurrection is the linchpin to our resurrection. And on that resurrection morning, everyone, listen to this, everyone but a couple of women ran away from the tomb, and the only reason those women came to the tomb was to complete the burial. Now, this is interesting because, because maybe they shouldn't have been completing the burial because all of them had heard the prophecies concerning what Jesus would do in his resurrection. So, so they maybe shouldn't have been coming to complete the burial, but at least give them credit, they were at least moving that direction. I understand why people do what people do, and I, I love people, I really do. But people have run from our death here at Legacy. Not everyone, I realize there's reasons, there's a thousand reasons. Heck, I've even been discouraged, I'm not going to deny that. But something has to happen inside of you like happened in me in Monroe, North Carolina. Much like Peter, no one has to believe that anything transformational happened, but I know what happened. I know what happened right there. I am going to watch. I just, there's something that God dropped in me. Every now and then God will do this. He will drop something in me that gives me like the spirit of a bulldog. It's, it's like, it's like, it's, it's a, you haven't ever had a dog that gets a hold of a towel and you can just, you can just shake it around and then after a while you can just pick it up and he'll, he'll just hold onto that towel with the feet off the ground. Every now and then, you got to get like that. You grab hold of something. And, and, and I've just decided I, I'm, I'm going to watch the resurrection power manifest. And all of you are invited to watch it as well. Now, I suspect, just knowing how these things work, some will, some might not. But this much I do know. It only takes one with resurrection power at work on the inside to change the whole landscape. Now I want to bring it down to you. What has died in your life? Some of you here today may have felt like you've had a destiny or a future and it's died. Maybe you feel like there were some promises that you really wanted to see and you thought that were God and, and right now they're either dead or they're dying. I mean, you fill in the blank. What would you say right now in your life has died? And maybe it's died to such a degree that you just sort of checked it off your mind. You've rolled the stone over it. You put nice grave clothes on it. You tended to it well. You don't understand everything. You've got some questions, but, you know, it's dead. It's gone. And, and I accept that. And some of you have things in your life. It could be, again, areas of resource and finance and relationship and ministry and it could be anything, marriages, it could be anything, just one of a hundred different things it could be. And you would say, it has died. I want you to 
just for a moment, run to that tomb and to begin to look at it and understand at this moment that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead can raise up what has died in your life. But the question is, you got to anticipate and believe and say, Lord, I'm, I'm believing every word that you said. It's the linchpin. The linchpin to everything is the resurrection. The resurrection. Would you stand with me, please?